This is VLX number 105. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the only online patristic Bible study and guide to Ignatian mental prayer on every verse of the Gospels. Today we're going to have a little bit of an interlude. I'm calling it Why You Can Trust the Bible. VLX number 105 today is Why You Can Trust the Bible. So we're going to take a little break here between Matthew 16, that is the chapter on Christians carrying their cross, and then 17, we begin the transfiguration very soon. But I wanted to pause and talk about why are we even doing this VLX series? Do Catholics trust the Bible? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be reading Thomas Aquinas on this? Um, so we're going to have a little interlude, and I want to give you what the Catholic Church teaches about the Bible. Um, let's start with the bad news. And this isn't the bad news of what the church teaches. This is the bad news of what certain people in the church are teaching as of late. Now, the two things to file on the back and the bad part, you know, I usually go to the bad news and then we get to the good news. The two terms to remember for how many biblical scholars, both Protestant and Catholic, now approach the Bible in a bad way is the historical critical method and the literary critical method. Those are the two, the two, well, the first we're going to find out is neutral, the second is bad. Let's talk about the historical critical method. This is when people approach the Bible mainly through archaeology and history. As I said, it's neutral because it, it can actually be done pretty well. In 2018, I went to the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, and I saw the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit that they brought over from the Holy Land, and it was really very good. Um, in fact, as we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, we continue to see the classic teaching of Catholics and what many evangelicals hold on the inerrancy of Scripture to be vindicated. Again, the Dead Sea Scrolls, really vindicate the inerrancy of Scripture. So I do love studying those things. Um, we just want to approach the Bible as um, the living Word of God, not just something that can be dissected. But what we keep finding in when the historical critical method is done well, we keep finding that it vindicates the classic teaching on the inerrancy of Scripture. So I'm fine with the historical critical method, even though it's frequently criticized. Um, but now we get to the literary critical method, and this is bad news. If you meet people who are Bible scholars who like the literary critical method, well, basically, in this method, in this method, the reader decides what is true in the Bible. I'm sure you can see the danger in that. You get to decide what you think is believable, and then that's what you teach. Now, that might sound a little bit far-fetched, like, well, nobody in the Catholic Church would do that. Well, this is what's being taught in Vatican II in our most prestigious biblical university in the entire Catholic Church, the Biblicum in Rome. You know, I asked a friend who has a PhD and who had actually taught in Rome, I said, am I exaggerating in saying that the Biblicum, our greatest or at least most prestigious Catholic university teaching the Bible to even priests who are going to go back to their seminaries and teach? I said, is it too much to say that they're teaching the historical critical method? He said, no, he knew someone who studied the Biblicum who denied that Moses existed. Think about that. The Biblicum in Rome has a professor or many professors who teach Moses never existed. Now let's talk about the good news. I want to tell you a little story. About 20 years ago when I had a car with a tape set in it, someone gave me a tape set by Scott Hahn on the inerrancy of scripture. I was driving across the South, I think it was driving across Alabama at the time, and I put this tape set in and it was really one of those life-changing moments. 
Scott Hahn went through the teachings of the Catholic Church on what the Church teaches about the Bible, and he proves of all the other Protestant denominations, we hold the Bible the highest. He told the story of a Dr. Roger Nicole of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He was a world expert on inspiration of the Bible. He had a personal library of 40,000 volumes, and he could speed read in six languages. Scott Hahn, even after his conversion, said of this Protestant he was still the most humble and brilliant person who ever taught Scott Hahn. And this man, God rest his soul, Dr. Roger Nicole, never became Catholic before he died. He said Hahn's conversion was one of the greatest heartbreaks of his life. Now, Dr. Nicole admitted, however, before he died, again, not becoming a Catholic, that of all the different denominations' teachings on inerrancy, the Catholic Church held the highest. Someone forwards this video to Dr. Scott Hahn, and I got part of this story wrong. I'm happy to retract. But this was uh, the notes that I took 20 years ago into what ended up becoming my Evernote. Um, this Dr. Raj Nicole, who could quote you Latin and had studied the old school documents and what the Catholic Church taught about the inerrancy of Scripture, held that we held the inerrancy even higher than most Protestants, most Protestant confessions. Well, when I heard this tape set by Dr. Scott Hahn, and then when we went through Providentissimus Deus by Leo XIII on this tape set, I think he also quotes uh, Spiritus Paracletus by Benedict XV in 1920. As Hahn showed what Aquinas, the fathers, and everybody taught about the Bible, I realized I could trust the Bible. It might sound like a pretty milquetoast phrase, but as I went through seminary and I saw everything debated, Every doctrine was debated, I felt like, in my seminary. I certainly would have left seminary if I didn't keep coming back to that tape set by Dr. Scott Hahn, where I saw that the Bible stood as the highest level of written divine revelation in the Catholic Church. And that's essentially what I just kept coming back to. So what's the connection, then, between what Dr. Roger Nicole found in our old-school Catholic documents on the inerrancy of the Bible to how I just said the Biblicum is teaching all this rotten stuff. Well, the answer to that is that the classic magisterium of the Catholic Church, before modernism invaded, held the Bible to be the most important of all written divine revelation in the entire Catholic Church. The Catholic Church held the Bible to the highest level of any other, even Protestant denomination. But now, many Catholics in the hierarchy downplay not just the Old Testament, but even the New Testament is a myth. Now, what's funny is I grew up in pretty modernist Catholic grade school and high school, and we were all taught that Catholics in the Middle Ages couldn't read their Bible. And then the very next day in our Catholic education in grade school and high school, we were taught that all these people were just myths. So wait a minute, who held the Bible the highest? If you read the medieval documents, again, it holds that the Bible is the highest level of written divine revelation. And then in modernist Catholic high school, I learned that all these people are just myths. No, it's the modern hierarchy that holds the Bible so low. And it's the ancient Catholic Church that holds the Bible so high. Yet another point that the traditionalists hold the true faith on. On the other hand, when I explain this to some traditionalists, I've seen them get a little bit squeamish. I think they want me to say, St. Thomas Aquinas is the highest level of written divine revelation. But, you know, if you could ask Thomas Aquinas, he would tell you the Bible is above him. 
the number one proof that he uses after all of the differing opinions that he gives for the debates in the 13th century is the Bible, and the second is the Fathers. Providentissimus Deus, written by Leo XIII about 100, 120 years ago, it reads this, For all the books which the Church receives as sacred and canonical are written wholly and entirely with all their parts at the dictation of the Holy Spirit. The Council of Trent is awesome, St. Thomas Aquinas is awesome, but we don't say that about Aquinas or the Council of Trent. Listen again. For all the books which the Church receives as sacred and canonical are written wholly and entirely with all their parts at the dictation of the Holy Spirit. That's Providentissimus Deus, number 20, by Pope Leo XIII. Now, of course, there's many different ways to read the Bible. We can read it in a fashion that is literal, analogical, anagogical, and moral. We'll do those in reverse order. Moral means how we read the Bible for our own lives, our ethics, how we come closer to Christ, sometimes called ascetical theology. Anagogical is the apocalyptic outlook. How does this lead to eternity, heaven and hell, the last four things? Analogical is connections between the Old and the New Testament. What is the literal way to read the Bible? You know, many Catholics are taught in higher education, oh, we Catholics don't read the Bible literally. We only read it in these other ways. Do you know the church fathers teach the exact opposite? St. Augustine teaches that of all the different ways to read the Bible, the literal is the primary, it's the bedrock, it is upon it's the way upon which all the other ways are formed. So it's totally fine to read certain parts of the Bible in a moral way or analogical way or anagogical way, but we never trash the literal way. The literal way, in other words, the literal way of the Bible is always true. Now that might be kind of challenging because, you know, I remember I went in, we had four very top uh, biblical scholars in my seminary. Two were kind of more in the direction of literary critical and two seemed to believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. And so I went to one of those latter two, and I sat down in his office, and I said, you think Jonah was really in the belly of a whale for three days? And maybe I told this story before. He said, do you think Jesus could have been in the tomb for three days? I said, yeah. And he, got, he made his point that he believed even Jonah in the belly of the whale uh, for three days was literal. And I do too now. But I was just waking up to see that there were actually Catholics who took the entire New Testament and the Old Testament literally, including Genesis and the creation story. And that's what I believe now, of course. But you might be surprised that not only are Jesuit universities teaching the opposite, most seminaries, even the ones you consider conservative, are teaching a lot of garbage on the Bible. Now, if you go to like an SSPX seminary or an FSSP seminary, you're going to be learning that uh, the Genesis account is literal, as I believe. So there are, there are good places still teaching that the Bible can be taken literally. Now, some people out there might hear me say that, you know, I take even creation literally, and they say, well, that's not Catholic. Well, yes, it is. I'm going to read you, um, Benedict XV wrote in 1920, Spiritus Paracletus. Spiritus Paracletus by Pope Benedict XV in 1920. So we're just talking something 100 years old. He writes, quote, St. Jerome then goes on to say that all interpretation rests on the literal sense and that we are not to think that there is no literal sense merely because a thing is said metaphorically, for the history itself is often presented in metaphorical dress and described figuratively. 
He also says, But what, in St. Jerome's view, is the goal of such study? First, that from the Bible's pages we learn spiritual perfection. Jerome also insists on the supereminent authority of Scripture. So again, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, even documents up to the uh, 20th century show that you can read the Bible metaphorically, but you always have to assume that what you're reading literally happened right there. So is it metaphorical that we will rise as Jesus did? Yes, but Jesus literally rose from the dead, and we will literally rise from the dead. So we always have to hold it. This is why my VLX series um, focuses on play, placing ourselves in historical events. These are not myths. These literally happened. And if you don't believe that, you're not Catholic. Why do we even need doctrine then? This might be another question people ask. Then if, if the Bible is the highest level of written divine revelation for Catholics, then why do we even need to do like the CPX, my series on um, Catechism of Pius X? Well, there's an interplay between Scripture and the rest of the magisterium. I use this analogy. Several years ago, I heard of a, f a playground in Philadelphia. This was a, a grade school playground in Philadelphia, and it was on the intersection, or rather, it was just off the intersection of two very busy roads. And the students never wanted to play close to the roads because these were dangerous roads. Well, once they put fences up on these two busy streets, the kids in this playground were finally able to play a lot more freely and use a lot more of the space in this playground. Why? Because they had walls up. You see, a lot of people see the magisterium of the Catholic Church as walls that actually locks us into not being able to expand our wings, so to speak, as we look at the Bible. But it's the exact opposite. Once we have rules, we can actually play better. Maybe I could use the analogy of chess. Imagine if you sat down with your eight-year-old daughter and she wanted to play you in chess with no rules. Well, that might be fun for a couple minutes to entertain her, but by the time she's 16, let's say she's a chess genius and she knows the rules, that's going to be a lot more fun for you to play chess with your 16-year-old daughter once she believes in the rules. You see, the rules bring us safety, which actually brings us more expanse of what we're able to look at in the Bible. So also the magisterium, even though it does give us boundaries around which to work, that doesn't um, make it boring to study the Bible. It actually makes it more exciting. I hate using words like boring and exciting, but it's just the facts. When you know the magisterium, when you know the dogma, it actually is like these walls up around the playground that lets you play even more freely, ironically. So there's like five things in the Catholic Church magisterium that are without error. Councils, creeds. Anytime the church fathers agree on something, ex cathedra statements, and the Bible. But only one of those five is inspired word for word by the Holy Spirit, and that is the Old Testament and the New Testament. So again, we have many parts of the magisterium that you cannot disagree with on as a good Catholic. Councils, creeds, ex cathedra statements, anytime the fathers agree on anything in the Bible, but only the last of those is inspired word for word exactly as the Holy Spirit wanted. I've never heard this analogy from a modern biblical scholar who I trust or one of the fathers. It's just something I made up, so take it as a grain of salt. But this is kind of how I describe those five and then the Bible. It kind of goes like this. The five parts of the magisterium that are infallible, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard. You're guaranteed it will not go off the dartboard. You're guaranteed if you're reading councils, creeds, ex cathedra statements, and the church fathers that you're going to land on the dartboard. But only the Bible is every word 
a bullseye every single word. The Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and again, I know this sounds fundamentalist, but I can back this up with numerous papal encyclicals. The Bible is a bullseye for every single word of Old Testament and New Testament. Again, the magisterium of the Catholic Church, it guarantees that dart's going to land somewhere on the dartboard. There's not going to be any error. But only the Bible is every word, word for word, as the Holy Ghost wanted. God bless you.